The Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 24, beginning at the first verse. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back then. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel, kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today, and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, that I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her, water, filled her jar and came up. Then the servant met, ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon the ground and gave him a drink. When she had fi finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel 
and two bracelets from her, for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards his master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Your throne, O Lord, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. The second reading is from Acts chapter 9, beginning at the 36th verse. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her to his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Hallelujah. So the last days of October and November were days of, that were almost intolerable for the strain. Both at the army headquarters and within the government itself, leadership was ever-changing, as well as among the population. The army knew that it, had, it was on its last legs and desperately needed an armistice to regroup. The Berlin government was terrified by the rioting that had broken out in many of the German cities and the threats of the, the arising of, of uh, communist 
regimes in many of the different land of Germany were frightening the government. Two days before the Kaiser abdicated, the German army formed an armistice committee. And on November 7th, it was led through the lines uh, and then was put on a train. The train took it to the remote forest of Compagnon. And there for another, into another rail car, plushly adorned, and they, there they met General Foch. The British and Americans were not invited. And the, and the French commander made it very clear to the Germans that they would receive no slack. Do you ask for an armistice, he said. If you do, then I can inform you that the conditions under which it can be obtained. And they did. And then the French general gave them 72 hours and so, between Berlin and the, and the forest there, there were couriers going back and forth, and finally, after 72 hours, Germany accepted the armistice that the French offered. But there was no talk of war guilt or reparations or damages. The laying down of arms was set by somebody in the high command with a sense of irony, for it would be on the 11th day at the 11th hour of the 11th month, 1918. And the orders were issued, though, by Allied High Command that, that the, the fighting would go on as usual until the final minute. And so for millions of soldiers, it was a strange, almost unearthly experience. The last of the storms were over. In the French trenches, soldiers were trying to find flowers to adorn their uniforms. Among the British trenches, the exhausted Tommies were mostly just kind of catatonic, though a few had the bands strike up, God Save the King, only among the American trenches were there cheering because the Americans hadn't fought that long. And then the nearly 500 mile long battlefield became silent. Above, the above in the air, the birds flew. And then there was the weeping and the loud muttering that was heard on the German lines. And then in Iper, in Flanders, along the salient, of course it was raining. All had finally become still. The desire for peace had finally arrived. But 2,000 years before, in the bedroom of a young woman, a young virgin, maybe 13 to 14 years old, the exact opposite occurred. Silence and peace was shattered by the arrival of the angel Gabriel to a young woman named Mary of the house and lineage of David. And this appearance changed her life forever. And the outcome of that evening, the breaking of the peacefulness of her sleep led to our eternal peace. And there the angel Gabriel appeared to her in, in Luke 1, 28 and said, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. And she did not understand what he meant, right? I mean, Gabriel's words here are literally, no pun intended, pregnant with profound meaning. Not just for St. Mary, but for us all. For they are the first words that introduce us to Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Before this, the world just awaits the, awaits the Messiah. Before these words, the world wonders when the, when the event will take place. You know, Eve thought she had given birth to the Messiah. When Cain emerged from her womb, she said, I have begotten a man, the Lord, but it was not the Lord. And every generation since then had hoped that maybe the Messiah would arrive. And yet now, now it begins. 
And how does, how does Gabriel begin his address? He says, rejoice. Sometimes it's translated hail. Karite, karite in Greek. And this word hail, this word karite, it's used several times in the scriptures. It's used, for instance, when Judas goes to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and kisses him. Hail, Rabbi, and kisses him. And then, of course, begins the passion, right? After the resurrection, Jesus meets the disciples in Matthew 28, verse 9. And he says to them, karite, hail. And sometimes some scholars debate what exactly this karate means, because it sort of has charis or grace embedded in it. It's very similar to the word charis, grace. Some think that it means rejoice. Some, that's why it's sometimes translated rejoice, right? Others think, and I think this is, there's a very strong argument to this direction, some think that it's the New Testament equivalent of the word erine, peace. And if it's the word erine in, in Greek, peace, then it, the Hebrew equivalent would be, would be shalom, and shalom or, or shalom in, in Aramaic does not merely mean peace, like the absence of conflict, or peace, like the absence of war. Shalom means may everything that God intends for man after, before sin be now yours. It means salvation and forgiveness and all the good things of eternal life be given unto you. That's what shalom means. And therefore shalom is always the Lord God's gift. It is the gift of I am who I am. The religious context is always primary. Yes, shalom is what God creates in the heavens, Job 25, verse 2. In fact, Gideon's altar is called, in Judges 6, 24, the Lord God is peace. He is peace. Additionally, God's Old Testament people rejoiced in the anticipation of this shalom, of this peace. A sense because they sensed that within it, according to God's word, there would be a restoration of paradise. That's why God inspires the, the prophet Isaiah to write, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountaintop of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above all the hills and all the nations shall flow unto it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord and he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. And then they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall no more raise up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Shalom, peace. According to Scripture, it is the world's end that God intends for it. It's peace. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. Furthermore, embedded within this, this word that has, contains within it shalom and rejoice is the sense that the peace that, that God will bring will be a peace-filled rejoicing that is brought to us by the Messiah, whom all Israelites, as I said before, and all those before the calling of Abraham yearn to see. As Luther says, the blessed seed will come. And this again is alluded to us by the prophet Isaiah, who is inspired to write, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace, and of his peace there will be no end. How amazing. And so whether 
explicitly or rather implicitly, the angel, the angel's greeting to the Virgin Mary, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with thee, is announcing Messiah's peace, that this peace is coming, which is only achievable by the Messiah, the one who will die upon the cross for us, the one who will come as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bring forth a son, and you shall name, call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary asked, how can this be? I don't know a man. And the angel answered her and saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. This is why no doubt the ancient church fathers, especially Origen, correctly asserts that the angel's greeting and his address to the Virgin Mary cannot be found anywhere else in scripture. It is utterly unique. Because the calling of Mary is an utterly unique calling. And she is called full of grace. Now why is she called full of grace? There are many who sought to understand that idea. Why is, it full of, why is she full of grace? Well, the word literally is, is kekaritmene. It's the perfect passive participle of karitotuo. To bestow grace. To show favor upon someone. And the reason some translations express, express this word as a full of grace, I believe, is because when the angel Gabriel is announcing this, this to her, it is the opinion of many in the, since, since ancient times that because God's word does what it says, it's the same reason why we believe in the real presence of Christ in the sacrament. We believe his baptism really saves. That, that the sacrament of the altar really, really gives us the true body and blood of Christ given and shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Why we believe that? Because while the Gabriel, the messenger of God, is speaking God's word to her, that her, within her womb, the conception is actually occurring. So that she, at that moment, becomes Theotokos, the God-bearer. Her, her womb actually becomes literally the new living Ark of the Covenant, the place of the Holy of Holies, the place where God has chosen to, to be physically present in time and space for the salvation of men. Because his incarnation's purpose is so that he might present himself as a sacrifice for us, so that we who are dead may live so that our sins might be paid for in the only currency that the Father in heaven will accept. That's why St. Leo the Great says, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ exceeds all understanding and goes beyond precedent in his 30th sermon. Yes, one anonymous Christian father wrote that Mary conceives the creator of all things. And yet why was she chosen above all other women? Right? Many have, many have tried to, sought to try to understand that or try to explain that. The problem is scripture is silent. And yet it's, it's silence, I think, is a good thing. Because, it's, because the silence of scripture tells us, I believe, that Mary is no different from any other woman ever born. She's no different from any other 12 to 15 year old girl that ever lived. No, she's no different. 
And that's a very comforting thing because it means that God in his mercy chose Mary because he decided to choose her. Just as Christ decided to choose you. He made you his own and how did he do this? Through his word, he called you by the gospel and he enlightened you with his gifts, the gift of holy baptism where you were born again of water and the spirit, where the old passed away and everything became new, right? And then he confirmed that choosing of you every time you come to the altar to taste his body and blood under the veils of bread and wine and you know that your sins are forgiven. It's amazing. It's incredible to think about that her experience is given to you. Not that you bore him as, as the mother, as a mother, but you, you bear him, his life within you. As it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives within you. Yes, she did not choose him. She did not merit the choice of being the God-bearer. No, the Lord chose her just as the Lord Lord chose you. That's why the, the scriptures say, Jesus says, you did not choose me, I chose you. Furthermore, Mary is one of the, probably the most important of all the New Testament saints because Mary, according to St. Ambrose of Milan and Luther agrees with him, she prefigures the church. She is the icon and symbol of the church. According to the Venerable Bede, death made its entrance through a woman, the one seduced by the devil in the garden, and by it brought man the taste of death. And now another woman, that is the Virgin Mary, Bede writes, instructed by God through the angel, produced for the world the author of salvation. That's what he says on his gospel, on the homily homily on the gospels, which is what Christ's bride, the church, does. I mean, I mean, the, the church, it says in the Augsburg Confession, is given so that we, would ha- we know we have eternal life. Because it's through the means of grace that, the, that Christ embeds in his church that we are given the certainty of salvation. And we hear the gospel proclaimed in its purity. Right? And that's what, and that's what the church does. That's why she represents the church. And why do I say this? I say this based on Mary's confession. Jesus says, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who art in heaven. And what does the, what is, what is the Virgin Mary do? She hears this amazing, incredible statement of the angel Gabriel. I mean, with no preparation, she has no idea it's gonna happen. Just, it's just, just happening. And then what does she say? Luther says this is the, one of the greatest, maybe probably next to the resurrection itself and Jesus' death on the cross. Luther thinks this is one of the, the most profound miracles in the, his, in the entire scriptures. It's not that she conceived and bore in her womb. Luther says that, 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 that God causes women to conceive all the time. Opening a woman's womb to God is nothing. It's no, it's no big thing. It's easy. But what, what, God, what happens with Mary, the greatest miracle that God wrought through Mary, is what she says to, to the angel Gabriel when he finishes declaring the message of the Lord to her. What does she say in Luke 1.38? She says, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your will. Sarah, her foremother, when she heard the will of the Lord that she would conceive in her postmenopausal womb, she laughed. Mary says, let it be done to me according to your will. 
In other words, let thy will be done. She is, she is, he's assenting to the Lord's prayer while the Lord is being conceived within her. If, if Ambrose and Luther and the others are right, and I think they probably are, think about it. Because that's what the Lord, that's what the church does. The true church, that's why she represents the true church. Because the true church always says yes to the Lord. It always wants Lord's, the Lord's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Julie, if you're to be a faithful deaconess, if you're really to execute the duties of a deaconess in the church, be it here at Redeemer or anywhere, while you draw breath on this earth, that will also be your desire, that God's will will be done. And I said to my fellow clergy in this room as well, to you our district president, to Pastor Layman, to the other pastors in this room, and to you the laity in this place, if we are part of the true bride of Christ, if we are members of the body of the bride of Christ, Christ's bride, the church, then that is our desire as well. We want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the confession of St. Mary. That's why she's important. Because only Jesus Christ, her son, can bring us the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding that guards our hearts and minds. He's the only one that can do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, according to the church's usual order, Julianne M. Kirk has been called to the office of deaconess at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fairhope, Alabama. This office has been established in the love by the church to support the office of the holy ministry and to assist the faithful in their God-given vocations. Julie has been prepared for this office by prayer and study. She has been examined and declared ready to undertake this sacred responsibility and public trust. Let us hear the word of the Lord concerning this office. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3, 12-17. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. 
Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. Jesus called them to him and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20. 25 through 28. Julie, do you believe and confess the canonical books of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired Word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Yes, I believe and confess the canonical scriptures to be inspired Word of God and the only infallible rule to faith and practice. Do you believe and confess the three ecumenical creeds namely the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian creeds, as faithful testimonies to the truth of the Holy Scriptures? And do you reject all the errors which they condemn? Yes, I believe and confess the three ecumenical creeds because they are in accord with the Word of God. I also reject all the errors they con condemn. Do you confess the unaltered Augsburg Confession to be a true exposition of Holy Scripture and a correct exhibition of the doctrine of the Evangelical Lutheran Church? And do you confess that the apology of the Augsburg Confession, the small and large catechisms of Martin Luther, the small called articles, the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, and the formula of Concord, as these are contained in the Book of Concord, are also in agreement with this one scriptural faith. Yes, I make these confessions my own because they are in court with the word of God. Do you solemnly promise faithfully to serve God's people in your office in accordance with Holy Scripture and with these confessions? Yes, I promise with the help of God. Will you, trusting in God's care, <clears throat> Seek to grow in love for those you serve, strive for excellence in your skills, and adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with a godly life? I will, with the help of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ in the congregation, you have heard the confession of Julie, who has been called to the office of deaconess in the church. I ask you now, in the presence of God, will you receive her? Show her fitting love and honor, and support her by your gifts and fervent prayer. If so, then answer, we will, with the help of God. We will, with the help of God. The Almighty and most merciful God, strengthen and assist you always. Julie, are you ready and willing to assume this office and work? I am. Can you kneel? Is it okay with the knee? Yeah. Sometimes we can't. You know? oh, okay. I would have a hard time on knees. All right. Thank you.
Julianne M. Kirk, I commission you into the office of deaconess and install you at Redeemer Lutheran Church in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and most merciful Lord, by your Holy Spirit you have given your people diverse and singular gifts. We thank you for providing faithful men and women in your church to assist the office of holy ministry and to support Christians in their vocations. Grant your Holy Spirit to Julie and adorn her with wisdom and power from on high that she may serve faithfully in her work to the honor and glory of your holy name through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, as you chose Phoebe and Dorcas and other women to assist in the work of the apostles and to serve in works of love, so you have chosen Julie to be a deaconess in your church. Grant her grace and strength that in her labors of love and by her good example, she may serve you faithfully to the glory of your name, to help those in need, and to the everlasting benefit of your church. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Go in the peace and joy of the Almighty and most merciful God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with you and bless you and strengthen you for faithful service in His name. Amen. Amen. Congratulations and be blessed.